Today on the Tove Podcast, we have an interview with Chris Bray. Chris is a national author and speaker on a range of financial topics. He received the nationally acclaimed Article of the Year Award from the renowned wealth management periodical, Trusts and Estates Magazine. Chris is currently an adjunct professor of law on the faculty of Ave Maria School of Law. He received his bachelor's degree in accounting from Kent State University and his master's degree in taxation and Juris Doctor from the University of Akron, all summa cum laude. And although that is certainly impressive, I would say one of the most impressive things about Chris is his ability to teach the Bible. Chris is certainly one of the best Bible teachers that I've come across here in the United States of America. I'm excited for our interview today on the Tove Podcast. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. I wondered if you could share just a little bit uh, about the home you did grow up in and uh, then briefly just share how it is that you came to faith in the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. Yeah, it, so no, I was not raised in, uh, in fact, if you can think of, if you can put in your mind the ideal home in which you would raise a Christian child and a believing child, um, and if you just take the absolute inverse of that, that would be my home. That would be my upbringing. Um, you know, so I'm early fifties. I was born. In fact, I, you know, haven't, the Lord didn't really put two and two together for me until later in life on this, but I was born in June of 67. So mm. I was born, you know, 21 days after the liberation of Jerusalem uh, by the nation of Israel. And so I, not knowing it early on that Israel was going to be a huge call on my life, finding it out later, um, the home I was born into was uh, my mother was very much a product of the 60s and 70s, uh, someone who just partied constantly. And um, I was born, I have never met my father, never met my biological father. And um, my mom uh, married another man who I have a brother by who I love dearly, but they got divorced, you know, early on. And so my mom raised me and my brother as a single mother in Kent, Ohio, uh, Kent being a campus town. And, um, but a lot of crazy stuff going on in Kent, May 4th, 1970, you know, is people are familiar with, and it was the hippie movement. And my mom was a hippie. Mm. She was a drug user, an alcoholic. She had a number of guys that lived in her home that were drug users that sold drugs from our home. And as a child growing up in that environment, you just think that that's normal. You have no real way to compare that, except you do when you go to school and you see your friends, you do know that, wait a second, things aren't the same here. And, you know, so for my mom, you know, her and her boyfriend would slept in our living room, literally on a mattress because they would be too drunk to go upstairs to a bedroom. And the guy that lived in our house literally would pee in a, uh, in a milk jug cause he was too drunk to go to the bathroom typically. Wow. And so you, you know, people would come to my house and they would not get what's going on. But to me, that's all I knew. Um, and that was my life, you know, for the, that was basically my life up until the age of 16. Now what happened was, and I didn't really understand this, appreciate it till later, 
was that uh, you can only live that type of life so long. And um, my mom got saved when I was uh, 15 years old. She got, there was a woman that lived across the street from us that knew that we were, it was a crazy family. And she started witnessing to my mom and my mom got saved. She stopped drinking. She stopped drugging. She kicked the guy out of her house. Um, she started going to AA, which was helpful for her Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was old enough at the time to realize that something had happened and there had been a radical change in my mother's life. And my, my younger brother, my brother's three and a half years younger than I, we both thought she just lost it. We both thought she just went nuts. But um, so we resisted her her faith call and her because we just she didn't have any credibility to us, you know, because we knew that she was a drunk. Now, um, what was interesting, again, looking in hindsight is, you know, growing up in that environment, it's a desperately sick environment. And I was a desperately sick person, a desperately sick child. Um, I, looking back, I see this now at the age of 12, I started to develop very severe symptoms of depression, not quite suicidal depression, but close. Uh, at the, I mean, at the age of 12 and in early adolescence, my early teenage years, these, I'd have these recurring instances of significant depression. And looking back, you could see it's all spiritual. But at the time, you know, as a teenager, you're not, you have no idea what's going on. So um, kind of like, you know, how God brings us to the end of ourselves as a 15-year-old person being rebellious against my mom's change. I finally gone, had gone through one of these periods where I didn't have any choice but to call ask for my mom for help and ask for her god for help and i started to get some relief i started to kind of process what salvation and i became i got saved i guess you would say so that was really when i became a believer but to be honest with you i mean i would be in denial if i said i just everything changed and i just got healed i'm still in a process a lifelong process of uh, healing from a lot of that those issues um and by the way you know if you look at uh if, if you look at um, the New Testament in Galatians and Revelation, where Paul and John use the term sorcery, the, the, the Greek word translated into sorcery is pharmakia, which basically is drugs, illicit drugs. And so what I didn't appreciate until later was it wasn't just a, uh, a physical and a psychological component of abuse of severe drug addiction it was i was being raised in a world of the occult mm. and my mom wasn't worshiping satan not that i knew of but when your whole home is about drug use it is opening up your entire home this dark dark spiritual and demonic activity in fact if i look at the drawings that i drew and i used to make movies to super eight movies you know, my friends and I had made movies. They are, they are the, if you saw these movies, this is a pre-Golombine era. You know, this is like early 80s, mid 80s. If you looked at these movies today that we made, they were like slasher movies. And you would say, there's no way that someone would see these movies and not, the, the, the child wouldn't be removed from protective, by protective services. Mm. They're just, they're crazy. And the drawings I would draw. And so I can see looking back how much, demonic activity was involved, how much darkness was involved in my formative years. And so coming out of that was, was, was healing. Now I would say this, that I would like to say that it was all, you know, uh, it was all pure obedience and blessing after that, but I'd be a liar because what happened is, although I experienced healing, I lost a lot of my friends when I became a believer. Um, I didn't party. 
and my friends partied and I was very alone. I didn't have a support system. And so when I got into college, when I went started going to Kent State, I abandoned my walk with the Lord and mm. went straight up into the world. Mm. I mean, hardcore. And I knew it was wrong. But um, suffice it to say, not to get too long with the testimony, I would just say this. At the end of my college experience, after graduating early on in my professional life, the Lord put a whoop on me, a hard, hard whoop on me that I realized, A, I better wake up. B, I better get serious. C, I better get obedient. And I better start walking the path of, uh, of obedience. Now, again, my path has been up and down since then. Um, and it's been a lot of learning and a lot of growing. But um, thankfully, praise God, I'm, you know, I'm alive today, healthy, believing wife, uh, two children, and, and uh, just, again, experiencing the calling of God and the healing of God and uh, just, just having a great life as a disciple of our Messiah. Mm. Well, praise the Lord that he rescued you, as, as yeah. the scriptures say, from the domain of darkness and uh, yes. has brought you into the light for sure. Now, uh, I've, I've met your wife. Uh, she's a lovely lady. I've had the privilege of meeting your children. Uh, tell our listeners, Chris, where you and your wife met. <laughs> so, Levi, I can really, I'll answer your question, but just to preface it with this, how much Israel means to me and how much um, this calling on my life means to me, it all goes back to, honestly, the Abrahamic covenant. Mm. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I was uh, early 30s. Um, I started, I got involved with uh, another Jewish ministry, Jews for Jesus. Again, I don't know how specifically, but I just, there was a, something going on that was calling me to it. And as I started to learn more and more about um, our Jewish roots, um, I, I, I early on adopted the Abrahamic covenant. I will, he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So I, you know, again, this was uh, late 90s. I took it upon myself. I'm going to do exactly that. I want to bless Israel and the Jewish people. So let me stop you right there a second, Chris. So you read something in the Bible and you said, well, that must mean what it says. <laughs> yeah. Right. If, yep. if it says I'm going to bless you, if you bless the Jewish people, you just took that at face value. You didn't say, well, that's probably not relevant anymore. It's exactly right, Levi. And the moment I did that, my life has been blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And like I said, the, I met my wife because of the Abrahamic covenant. Mm. Um, I have children because of, you know, the Abraham. Now, again, I'm not, I, you know, I'm a new covenant member. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, theologically, just keep that in mind. I'm not, you know, trying to conflate the Abrahamic covenant to more than it is. But I took literally that he will bless those who bless Israel, and he does. Um, but just how I got involved, how I started to understand that is, um, I, for some reason, the Lord was tell, telling me, you know, what does it cost you, Chris, to be a believer? You know, not a lot. And I, don't, I started to hear testimonies of Jewish believers that were getting kicked out of their home, and I was so encouraged by that. Mm. I thought that's that's a real cost. So I don't know. I, I got involved somehow with Jews for Jesus in the late nineties, and, and, and one of their um, uh, newsletters. Uh, I don't think it, they, it's around anymore. Back in the day, their bookstore used to, or their stories to be called the uh, Purple Pomegranate or something like that. But the bookstore advertised a book, and it changed my life. This book changed my life other than the Bible by Arnold Fruchtenbaum. 
called Is Reology the Missing Link in Systematic Theology? And again, it's it's a book that no one would read normally. You know, people are used to reading the prayer of Jabez. You know, it's, it's 40 pages or something like that. So who's this book is, you know, it's uh, Dr. Fruchtenbaum's doctoral thesis at New York City University. And I think it's 800 pages, I'm going to guess. So I, I got a hold of that book and I devoured it word for word page for it was the first time in you know a long walk after kind of getting things right and trying to figure out how does the old testament quote unquote the old testament really fit and it never had gotten good explanations from any church any teaching in fact i uh, i used to listen to hank hanagraph on the way home from work on the radio bible answer man and he would give the most ridiculous explanations as to you know how people got saved in the old testament they looked at they were so trite so cliche my spirit immediately said this is not right this is not this this is not this is not right and when i read israelology the missing link in systematic theology again most people think how could anyone even read that let alone get something out of it it literally changed my life it started to show me that and it literally is the missing link in systematic theology as much as i knew about salvation as much as i knew about the holy spirit as much as i knew about sanctification i didn't know that the bible was about israel and and I didn't know that once I saw who it was about, it opened up so much for, for more for me in understanding what it was saying to me as a Gentile believer in a Jewish king. And so I have to credit Arnold Fruchtenbaum's book because it literally changed. It opened my eyes. And from there, it's been ever since it's been a, a great walk because it was it helped me understand the interpretive key and in understanding the Bible, just taking it for what it says and seeing. And, and by the way, why is it a missing link? Because the church is not if you go to any systematic theology course. And by the way, I never went to seminary. I don't plan to. Um, but I've read a lot of systematic theology, read a lot of theology. And if you go to any course in systematic theology, there's no course on Israelology. There's no teaching on Israelology. Yet, if you don't have a proper biblical view of the nation of Israel, you will be lost, not spiritually lost, but lost in terms of understanding what the Bible is trying to communicate to us. So long answer to question, I met my wife having gone to Israel, um, Jews for Jesus wasn't doing tours for Israel. They sent me some information saying, hey, one of our board members, a guy named Lon Solomon out of uh, McLean Bible Church in D.C., he leads tours to Israel. And so I actually signed up for that tour. It was September of 2001. And um, as we know, 9-11 happened, and I thought this tour's canceled. Or he, he kept the tour going. It was at the end of the month. And so I went on that tour, went to Israel, and it changed again. It was just an eye opener, as you know, Levi, leaving people to, to Israel often. And it was just so helpful. And I was so blessed on that tour. He offered another tour the following spring uh, called In the Footsteps of the Apostle Paul, where he went to Greece, you know, saw Ephesus, saw Philippi, saw Neapolis, Athens, and then F and, and uh, Turkey, of course. And it was on that second uh, cruise, second tour in spring of 2002 that I met my wife. Her mother had been an attendee of Lon Solomon's church in uh, the DC area. She went with her. She, my wife's a believer, was a believer. She went on this tour. I met her on this tour and uh, she was living in Richmond, Virginia. I was living in Cleveland, Ohio. But from there on, we connected and the Lord brought us together and, and uh, eventually got married and had children. So again, I credit my wife. As you know, Levi, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen. Uh, the Lord, uh, now I'd like to say that, um, Unfortunately, I was married and divorced, and I'm not proud of that. Um, 
I'd, met, I'd married a pastor's wife early on after I'd started to get my life back straight, but there was some significant issues there. But after I had been divorced, I thought I'm never going to be married again. I just, there's no reason to be. I mean, it's the, we're not only supposed to be married to one person, but the Lord kept on telling me, I got someone for you. I got someone for you. So years later, I just said, look, I'm not, you got to bring her to me. Cause I'm not, you know, I don't trust my own judgment on this. And so he brought me my wife, Anne Marie, <laughs> through a tour, on the heels of a tour to Israel shortly after reading that book uh, and, uh, you know, adopting the Abrahamic covenant is and being serious about it. So yeah, yeah. that's uh, <laughs> a blessing, a better blessing yeah. in my life. Amen. Well, thank you for sharing uh, that particular uh, part of your journey, Chris. I think, uh, I know that you and I hadn't planned on this, but I think what our listeners might find helpful is what if you and I open to a certain passage of scripture and we extrapolate it? What if, you know, completely uh, non-scripted here, as is pretty much everything here on the Tove podcast, um, but what if we open up a scripture and um, to give people an example of what we're talking about when we say, study the Bible, what it says is what it means. And, it, and that doesn't mean that there's not imagery. It doesn't mean there's not symbolism in the scriptures. But for the most part, if the plain sense makes the most sense, seek no other sense, lest it be nonsense. Right. And that's, that's kind of what I apply. Um, so Chris on the fly here, do you have a particular passage that you think would be good for the Tove podcast listeners uh, to hear about? You know what? This is the fly, uh, Levi, and I appreciate it. I love it. Let me just, and I don't know why, and until I read it, let's see if it makes any sense. But, um, you know, let's look at Romans chapter 11. And by the way, we haven't talked about this mm. uh, at all. But um, just a few points about Romans briefly, and that is that uh, the Reformation, the Reformers, you know, never really spent much time in uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, or 11. Um and it's because of the fact that they thought that the church was Israel. Even the reformers did. Um, so this idea of the church being Israel, this idea of replacement theology that you and I are aware of, is still an ongoing cancer, toxicity, among disciples of the Messiah. Um, and But if you read, <laughs> if you read 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, um, and read it for what Paul says it says, then rather than what Augustine says it says, or what Calvin says it says, or what Martin Luther says it says, if you read it for what Paul says it says, you will be blessed. And so specifically, let's, uh, let me just read uh, chapter 11, verse 25. Paul says this in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. And remember, Paul is writing to a group of both Jewish and Gentile believers in Rome. It's one of the few letters we have in the Bible based on a letter to a congregation that he didn't start. Someone else started it. He was coming on later, but he wanted to tell them, Hey, I got news for you. I got some stuff I want to share with you. And you know, every, most Protestant churches are very familiar with the first eight chapters of Romans. Um, and we should be no doubt about it, but I love Romans chapter 11 verse beginning with verse 25. Paul says this, I do not want you and the you here being members of the Ecclesia, Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus. I don't want you brothers to be uninformed of this mystery. Mm. 
And there's a whole lot we can talk about there. What did Paul mean by mystery? You know, it means that this is something that the prophets, the Hebrew scriptures hadn't talked about. You know, Ezekiel didn't write about it. Jeremiah didn't write about it. Isaiah didn't write about it. It's a mystery. And so Paul's disclosing it right now in our New Testaments and to the believers in Rome right here in verse 25. And he says, I want to tell you this for specific reason in verse 25. What? So that you will not be wise in your own eyes. Now, in my opinion, I think at this point in Romans 9, 10, 11, he's speaking to the Gentile believers in the community. Because he's explaining to them in 9, 10, and 11, because the question becomes, if Jesus is the Messiah, what happens to all these promises made with the nation of Israel? What, what, I don't get it. And that's what the whole reason for 9, 10, and 11 is. Paul is explaining to Gentiles, here's how this works. And so he's, it's important that he says in verse 25, I don't want you Gentiles to be conceited. And by the way, the history of churches, they got conceited quick. We're the new Israel. We're the church. So Paul was warning against this early on in verse 25. He says in verse 25, what, here's what the mystery is, a partial hardening has happened to Israel. So important because church has taught for 2000 years that the Jews are blinded to the gospel Mm. and the Bible teaches that's not the case. It's true. There is a partial hardening, but it's not a full hardening and it's not a blindness. Even hardened Jews like hardened Gentiles can become believers. By the way, Satan blinds the eyes of Gentiles, Corinthians tells us, but, but a partial hardening has come upon Israel, but it's not going to last forever. Here's how long it's going to last until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Now, again, in my church training, Levi, you know, spending years and years in church, I thought Gentiles meant pagans, Mm. non-believers. It wasn't until I started to read the Bible and read it for what it says that I realized that just as the Bible tells us that there are males and females and by the way they're genetically different only in our modern day society do we talk about males becoming females and females becoming males and by the way you can't genetically do it even if you want to become a woman and you're a man you can't change your chromosomal structure just like he created males and females the bible is about jews and gentiles and gentiles are basically all of humanity that are not descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Period. End of story. That's Bible. And when Paul uses the term Gentile, he means exactly that. So for something's going on, he's saying. There's a time period at work right now where he's calling in Gentiles to share in these covenant promises that we read about that are made with the nation of Israel. By the way, the new covenant, made with the nation of Israel. Yep, yep, Jeremiah chapter 31 and uh we've Amen. actually we've covered exactly. that in our in our covenant series if our listeners are interested in uh listening to more about the new covenant, you can find that in uh season 2 in our new covenant episode. Uh continue Amen. on, continue on, Chris. Well, then just one more verse and we'll finish. Verse 26. And so in other words, when this time period of the full of the Gentiles is concluded. So, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. Mm. And that doesn't mean the church. That means Israel. That means non-believing Israel. At a point in time and space, Paul tells us today that there will be a point in time and space when every 
descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on planet Earth will be saved. And they're saved through confession of their Jewish king that I serve. And by the way, another great thing that I've learned about Jesus since you know, becoming a disciple of the Jewish king and learning more about the Bible is that I often heard that Jesus was Jewish, Levi. Mm-hmm. Jesus is Jewish. Mm. Jesus is, he is circumcised at the right hand of the father, a descendant of David, a Jew. Right. Our king is Jewish and he will return to reign as a Jewish king over all Israel and the rest of the world. So not to get too excited on you, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's just a great example yeah. of if we start reading the Bible for what it says instead of what people tell us it says. Yep. Man, it gets exciting. It does get exciting. And uh, to your point there, Chris, about one future day, all Israel will be saved. Uh, Of course, multiple things come to mind uh, of things I could say about that. But obviously, um, throughout church history, um, the church has viewed themselves as the new Israel, like you said. But my question is, if the church is the new Israel, why does Israel need saving? It's a great point. <laughs> right? That's exactly I mean, right. I mean, if, if I'm going to say that the church is Israel today, why does Paul say that one day in the future, Israel will be saved? It makes zero sense at all. We cannot both be Israel and yet need uh, saving at the same time. We cannot do those things both. And so that's amen, why I think amen. Paul— Well, and like you said, Levi, mm-hmm. if, if you're reading— scripture and trying to make sense of it other than the plain sense it is nonsense you're right how can this be about the church if the church is saved it can't be it's got to be just what it says it is israel the prominent belief i would say today across the world is that when jesus came he started a new thing called the ecclesia and that has replaced israel Mm. Uh, but that simply is not taught in scripture But unfortunately, because it has been taught for such a long time by so many people, it's like a locomotive. And picture yourself standing on the train tracks and there's a locomotive coming toward you and it's about 10 feet away. It's going to take a long time for this locomotive to slow down. And that is where I think we are right now. It's a great point. It's a great metaphor, great analogy. Exactly. There are a lot of people out there whose eyes are really being opened to the reality that Israel is Israel. And the church is the church, and they both matter. But the church hasn't replaced Israel. They both matter, and we're trying to slow this locomotive down that has been going for so long. I love the metaphor because here's what also I like about it, and and I'm sure you can appreciate this. To stop the locomotive and the inertia of the locomotive, you almost have to stand in front of it. And that's a scary thing to do. Yeah. It's not popular to tell people that the way they've been reading the Bible is wrong. Because you got to tell a lot of Christian people, good people, well-intended people, that they've been doing something incorrectly. And that, again, you're not going to make a ton of friends that way. (laughs) Um, But the people, just like I, appreciated hearing it and learning it eventually. I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I wasn't necessarily on board with it at first, but once I realized the truth of it, I was thankful for the people that warned me. And so, Someone has to get in those train tracks and scream in front of a train knowing that they could get hit by the train. And I think probably you've been there with other believers. 
you know, I, I am so sensitive now, not sensitive. I've just been coming so appreciative of the amount of anti-Semitism in church. Um, and now I, my heart goes out to our believing Jewish brothers and sisters who have suffered through this for centuries and millennia. And who am I a Gentile? What do I have to be scared about to, to call people out on this? We can and we should, and that's my calling. I know it's yours. But you know what? It's going to feel like standing in front of a train a lot. It's going to be scary because people aren't happy with it. But we got. But if we're called to it, we got to do it. We got to do it. No matter if it looks like that train's going to run us over, it's not. We're his. He's going to protect us. But it's going to feel like that sometimes, and sometimes it does to me. It feels like I'm going to get run over by these people. They're not going to tolerate this. But man, we just got. It's just the, his word as it goes forth. It doesn't return void. And uh, and again, um, so much of what we know about the Bible is still uh, shrouded in the cloud of the dark ages. You know, the Bible becoming common, commonly used and read, it's really a new phenomenon in world history. Mm. Um, and so there's still a lot of learning going on, and I'm just grateful that there are ministries like Life and Messiah um, and people like Levi Hazen that are telling people, look, we got to read the Bible for what it says. And here's what it says about Israel. The church hasn't replaced Israel. In fact, let's rethink what church is. What does the Bible say it is? Um, because our, some, a lot of our ideas about church don't come from the Bible. They come from the traditions of men. And one more tangent real quick, Levi, what I'm appreciating more and more is exactly as Jesus had to suffer with the misconceptions of rabbinic Judaism in first century Israel. I'm not trying to put the rabbis down, but the rabbis clearly got off on tangents about Torah. Clearly they did. And Yeshua had to confront that. Look, this is the traditions of men. Churchianity has done the exact same thing. Churchianity has claimed, put a rabbinic framework of extra traditional, nonsensical teaching around scripture. And people stuck in churchianity get sucked into it and it becomes you're on this train. Mm. So I hope I didn't, <laughs> I hope I didn't spend too much time with your metaphor, but I like it. No, no, I, I appreciate that. And I, I think the word that we've used here on the Tove podcast um, that I think correlates to the word you're using, churchianity, um, is oftentimes just a religiosity, right? Mm, yes. I mean, it's it's not like Protestants, for example, are immune to religiosity. Not at all. We can easily get wrapped up in extra biblical things. And Truly. what I really desire for our listeners is that they just they focus on the word. And yes, yes it's great to hear good teaching. Um, I love good Bible teaching, uh, but I think we should not just take what other people say at face value. We exactly need right. to make the scriptures our sole authority. Exactly right. Well, Chris, we are uh, winding down our time today and just really appreciate you sharing your testimony, uh, your thoughts on the scriptures and on Israel, of course. And there's no doubt. Well, believe it, let me just say, yeah. I apologize. I know you're closing yeah. out, but let me just take the time to really acknowledge you and your ministry, you and Stephanie, what you guys do. Really appreciate what you guys do. Really appreciate the fact that you guys have dedicated your lives to this ministry. To the, You guys take people to Israel. I have so many 
guys in my Bible study on Monday and Friday that have benefited from their trips with you to Israel. They come back. You can tell they're on fire for the Lord. Um, and so I just want to encourage you in your continued ministry in the nation of Israel to the Jewish people and Gentiles in the United States that uh, you're doing a great thing in life of Messiah. And I just want to thank you again for what you're doing on the front lines. And uh, it's very much appreciated. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Chris. As you know, we're just being obedient to the King, just like you are. And it, it gives our hearts great joy to, to please him. Uh, I wondered if we could close. There's no doubt in my mind, Chris, that there are probably some listeners out there who don't yet know the Lord. There are probably some listeners out there who have listened to this conversation. Maybe it's intrigued them. Maybe we th they think we're just bat crazy. I don't know. But, you know, here you are coming. You're a Gentile. You've come from a broken home, essentially. And yet the Lord has rescued you and even given you a love for the Jewish people. So what do you have to say to both Gentile, not yet believers out there, as well as our Jewish friends who don't yet believe? Fantastic question. And uh, again, one of the thing I appreciate about you, Levi, is your gift of evangelism at work right here and now. Um, I would say, as I, as, as I get the opportunity to say to any Gentile or Jewish non-believer, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, first of all, I would say generally, without even getting into Israel, is just this. If you do not have God, and I'm talking about Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you do not have him in your life, you're, you're, you have no hope. There is no hope for you. I, I, and not only that, you know, I had no hope. And I don't know how more people aren't suicidal without that hope. I don't know how, I mean, suicide is an epidemic, of course, more so it's killing more people than coronavirus. It's not surprising to me, but what surprises me is more people do not commit suicide because this world is hopeless. It has nothing to offer of, of lasting hope beyond our temporal lives. God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, especially for Gentiles, Yeshua, Jesus, and Jews too, but Gentiles are a lot of very attracted to Jesus. And that's how they first find out about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is the light to the Gentiles as well as Israel. And, you know, Jesus said, uh, you know, my yoke I give to you, not as the world gives. Take my yoke upon you because my burden is easy. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. And it's so true. Um, he, he is such a helper and the Holy Spirit is such a helper. So, you know, you're without hope if you don't have him. So find out who he is. The other thing I would say is that, okay, well, let's say I do believe in a God. There are many gods out there. I mean, how do you know your God is the right God? The other thing I've come to appreciate, Levi, and you and I may have talked about this before, is, you know, this idea that there's no way to prove the existence of God idea. That's not true. If you just take a objective view of history and the nation of Israel, there is no explanation for the nation of Israel, but for a supernatural explanation. And the nation of Israel is 100% evidence for the existence of God, not any God, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No way this nation should even exist. And so in my mind, the nation of Israel is proof positive that God exists and not just any God, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, man, what a blessing it is to serve him and to know him. And I would say, if you don't know him, get busy after him. It's not that, it's not that hard. You got to take that first step. And once you take that first step and commit your, your life over to the care of 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he'll get you through. He'll get you to that point where you have a lot of influence and authority, like a Levi Hazen or, or the people that uh, Levi knows and disciples. So, yeah, it's. Uh, it, it, I would just say that. I would say that uh, you're hopeless without him. And you really, there is no hope without him. Mm, amen. And to your point, Chris, the prophets tell us, uh, the Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you search me, search for me with all your heart. Amen. And just to reiterate what Chris has said, if you are out there and you're listening to this podcast, I have no idea what kind of state you're in, physically, mentally, spiritually, I have no idea. But I, knew, I do know that the Lord is calling you. And I do know yes. that it is the Lord's desire that nobody perish. Truly. But that all come to have everlasting life through Yeshua, right. the Jewish King. And so That's right. if we can help you do that here at po- Tove Podcast, uh, we'd love to. Thanks for listening today. Uh, thanks for joining us for an interview with Chris Bray. If you've not yet checked us out on Facebook, you can find us on Facebook. Give us a like, make a comment, ask a question, whatever you want to do there. And you can also listen to the Tove Podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Shalom. Hope you have a great day. Mm-hmm.